This week on Trek Mary Kill, Pirates, Argonauts, Kaboom! Next. Trek Mary Kill. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Trek Mary Kill, a Star Trek podcast that's just out of communication range of Starfleet Command. This week, we're joined by Jen, a freelance journalist from California's Central Valley and an analyst for Baseball Prospectus and their R&D. Baseball Prospectus is a baseball journal for advanced statistics. And I know Jen because we both love baseball San Francisco Giants, but also quite conveniently Star Trek as well. Welcome, Jen. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Do you remember the first time you watched Star Trek or what hooked you to it? Yeah, so um, when I was a little kid, I remember watching Next Generation. Um, my parents tell me that like Jordy was my favorite character, um, and I do remember that a lot. <laughs> um, but what really hooked me in was when um, I first started dating my husband, and he insisted we watch all of Deep Space Nine because I had only watched like in and out whenever it was on UPN um but I never like actually sat down to watch it so we sat down and watched the entire thing and it became my favorite trek um and I blame him because I was like okay how can any other treks compare to this <laughs> um that was uh, 2015 so we were just going through all the different series we went through um Voyager, we went through Enterprise, we went through Next Generation, um, you know, all of it. And I was like, why did you show me Deep Space Nine first? That's like, <laughs> it's ruined the standard for everything else. Like, the bar is so high that I just, um, how do I compare? How do you follow up Deep Space Nine? I, especially at the time, like, I was just like one of the more complex treks. I thought. Yes. Yes. Hashtag complex Trek for sure. (laughs) No, but when we did our emissary episode, you know, we had a guest on there and, you know, it surprised him that Kristen and I both, um, I think at the end of the day, Cisco might be our favorite captain. I was just thinking about this the other day. Maybe we were kind of exchanging about this, this idea on Twitter about Deep Space Nine being great and being the best or whatever. Maybe people don't like that show the most because of the serialization. It's kind of darker, whatever. But the argument that Cisco is maybe the best captain has a lot of evidence, even if you aren't as big a fan of the show. Two reasons. Worf and O'Brien both served under Captain Picard, and they still came out saying that Cisco was their favorite captain in the show. (laughs) They say that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think there's a lot to be said about Cisco as a captain and just all the ways that he like manages Deep Space Nine and the way the crew responds to him. His biggest strength to me always seems like he lets everyone be themselves, but he does have expectations of you serving under him. And once you hit against those expectations, then he's like, that's great, but I need you to do this. <laughs> And he seems very, he seems to like all the people who, and their quirks, I guess is what I was getting at. And then when it's time to pull their duty, if there's a, uh, if there's a conflict there, he's very certain to say, shove that in your quarters, take care of this now. 
and do it in a way that's pretty respect respectful, I think. Like he doesn't seem like he's BSing you on either side of the equation. And I think it's pretty refreshing for most most of his officers, it seems like. I I just think about it a lot. Like how he treated his crew is you know, clearly the biggest sign of why they respect him. And especially when like I think about the relationship between Cisco and Kira and Kira's history and everything and her general distrust of a lot of systems. Um, and yet she, you know, she works well with Cisco. There is a mutual level of respect there. And I think that that relationship is something that kind of steers me towards thinking Cisco is probably the strongest written character the cap strongest written captain on track i i might agree with that i think what pushes both of those characters over the top are the actors playing those roles i i really do think there's something about avery brooks you know it's it's not a hundred percent of the time he's amazing in every scene but you know he has a presence at all times and he he's very convincing whatever he has to do. And the Nod Visitor as Kira, I mean, burned in my mind. Major Kira, one of my favorite characters in visual fiction, just bar none, period, because of that performance as well. So, oh, I love talking Deep Space Nine, but today we're talking about Strange New Worlds. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about Strange New Worlds' uh, seventh episode of their first season, The Serene Squall, which premiered on Paramount Plus on June 16th. 2022 written by Bo DeMeo and Sarah Tarkov directed by Sydney Freeland. The enterprise is sent to a sector. Captain Pike says the alpha quadrants version of the wild, wild West where pirate ships, specifically a ship called the serene squall is patrolling. The enterprise is tasked with finding some colonists who are in distress before the serene squall finds them. But when they get there, they are gone presumably to these pirates on their way, leading them is Dr. Aspen, who's leading this unnamed uh, like Doctors Without Borders group to aid these colonists who are not affiliated with the Federation. And Dr. Aspen's going to help them through this territory, but the Enterprise winds up getting ambushed by the pirates. And wouldn't you know it, Dr. Aspen hasn't been leading them to find the colonists. Dr. Aspen has been leading them into a trap. And Dr. Aspen is not a doctor or a counselor with the uh, formerly of the Federation or this aid group, but Captain Angel the captain of the Serene Squall, the very pirate ship Enterprise had been warned about. And uh, their plan is to hijack the Enterprise, to kidnap, to sell the Enterprise, but also to kidnap Spock and use Spock as leverage to get uh, Captain Angel's husband released from basically Vulcan rehabilitation run by T'Pring. Man, you know, T'Pring's one of the managers. She's not, she's not the head of it. That was a little, that was the part I was like, yeah, why, why go to her? Go to the head of the thing. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, Captain Angel thinks if I have Spock, T'Pring will do what I want. Um, and so Spock decides to nullify that by playing a ruse against Captain Angel, who had this entire episode has been warming up to Spock uh, with his duality, his binary nature, by pretending to be in love with Nurse Chapel and that they've been having an affair to get T'Pring to not want to do anything to help Spock which foils part of Captain Angel's plan. The other part is Captain Pike, after being captured by the pirates, starts a mutiny on the Serene Squall and comes and saves the day at the end. And all is well. Captain Angel gets away to terrorize another day, I guess. So that's that. 
um, well, actually, what were your thoughts of the, the episode? I actually thought that it was really interesting how they explored that entire side of being Vulcan because it is a trope that's like so common throughout all treks and kind of looking at the binary of Spock being part human and part Vulcan. It was just really, I don't know. I thought that they were exploring it in such a way that makes sense with the narrative that they were trying to build in this, in the episode. And I thought it was actually pretty well done. And I thought there was like a purpose to it, not just like general exploration of, you know, Vulcan-ness. It actually is, ends up being very related to the plot. Yes. And I've, of course, stepped on or I sidestepped sort of the big thing about this uh, episode. Dr. Aspen slash Captain Angel is uh, a non-binary character that's in the text. That's that's the... Uh, What's presented that was the thing that they they marketed when this episode premiered, played by a transgendered woman, Jesse James Keitel. And so there that was sort of the the big deal about the episode in one way, but it, it was all kind of in service of exactly what you said, Jen, which is let's explore the Spock's dilemma in, from a different perspective, essentially. Obviously, one of the reasons why I invited you on for this particular episode, you're always on my list of guests, but also you are openly and proudly non-binary. And so I wanted that perspective for this one because, you know, I'm a cis shithead and I'm going to, you know, walk (laughs) into the like a bunch of rakes like Sideshow Bob or something. And I would like to avoid that as much as possible. Or if I am, we have we make some jokes at my expense. So uh, (laughs) from that perspective. To your point about does it work with the rest of the episode? I think it does and it doesn't. I I, I want to get to it a little bit later about some of the thoughts I had about it. But um, just in terms of like a pirate story, there's kind of a lot going on here, right? It's not just yeah. non or the non-binary issue that's going on. Yeah, I have thoughts on how they handled <laughs> a lot of that part of the storyline. So Dr. Aspen is pitched as a counselor, but not just any counselor for this Doctors Without Borders. Uh, at, but at, formerly, they were a doctor, a, a, like a counselor in Starfleet. And I liked that they retconned basically counselor choice position into the original series era, because why wouldn't that be a position in Captain Kirk's time? Um, so I like that they they went ahead and made that change. I will say one thing I've noticed in season one of Strange New Worlds is they definitely most of the writers definitely seem like they've watched a lot more next generation than the original series. Cause the feel of the show is very next generation. So there is that like all the, all the scenes between uh, Aspen and Spock felt very next generation, far less than they felt like an original series thing, but to, to their credit, I think it worked well. What did you think of captain Pike being called a boy scout? <laughs> that and his reaction to being called a boy scout and that um i <laughs> personally am not the biggest boy scouts fan so like the reaction that he <laughs> had um i was like yeah i would probably feel the same way if i got called a boy scout in my file um so i relate uh, 
<laughs> um, there, there, there's a lot of layers to that that are neither here nor there, but um, I can understand where the Boy Scout na- like, name calling would get under someone's skin. And I think it, in that moment alone, just says a lot about the character because of the reputation of Boy Scouts and what you're presumed as if you are a Boy Scout, basically like, oh, you're a goody two-shoes who goes outdoors and like knows how to start a fire with sticks and stones. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, yeah, I thought in that moment is like a great display of character. It just it, telling me who they were. Um, I have not watched a lot of Strange New Worlds and... Yeah, no, I thought that that was kind of like telling for me to kind of get like the vibe of the character and just kind of like the vibe of everything overall, I'd say. It's exactly what you said. It's a shortcut. It's sort of a weird continuation of this idea that started on Star Trek Discovery. And it's no problem if you don't remember this or know this, but like one of the reasons why the Enterprise wasn't involved in the Klingon War in season one of Discovery was because Starfleet had wanted the Enterprise out of immediate danger in case the war went badly because they felt very strongly that we had to preserve the best of us and Captain Pike represented the best of Starfleet, essentially. Which is, I don't know what the reasoning, that reasoning really makes sense when you're in a war situation, but okay, whatever. But yes, the point (laughs) is that Captain Pike is to some degree revered, but also... uh, unimpeachable in some way and is and is viewed very highly by both the superiors and the people around him what have you thought of uh Anson Mount's performance uh as Pike do you like Pike in general yeah I thought it was an interesting character and I think I think that they're still in this stage where they're like trying to they're trying to do the character building thing I think still yeah and that's something that I noticed and like you mentioned how like you there is that next generation feel to um to this episode um and that's what i'm also kind of getting from the characters because next generation took a while to like build the characters and build the depth and i could tell that they're trying they're doing that kind of same character building too yeah and they're also trying to build his hair as tall as they can get it (laughs) I don't know if you've caught caught that, but he gets taller every every episode. It's, yeah. it, it's like that Nicolas Cage hair is a bird meme. <laughs> right. Um, I'm also tempted to do the what is that? That triangle, the pyramid of needs. The the <laughs> and like the higher it goes, the more your needs are fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, it's he's certainly has the screen presence, the charisma, the charm. Anson Mount, the actor to pull off whatever they give him to a large degree. But this episode definitely had a storyline that I thought, what's, what are the, what's the purpose of this? So they're, you know, the enterprise crew is captured by the pirates and it's basically up to Spock to take care of things on the enterprise. But while Pike's captured, he tries to start a mutiny. They call it alpha Braga Braga four. And it's basically a, some sort of ploy to, you know, so dissent among the ranks of the pirates to then somehow lead to their escape release or taking over the ship. 
but it's all sort of done tongue in cheek or like they're winking at the audience the whole time. And Pike especially is leaning into like, I'm going to say I'm going to cook for your crew because they look pretty miserable with the gruel you're feeding them. And and then he literally goes, yar, matey, at the end. So there's kind of, uh, <laughs> there's like a big swath of this episode that's just sort of not meant to be taken seriously. And to me, it kind of yeah. does the part, the parts that we're kind of supposed to take seriously a disservice, I feel like, because it really is like the second half of the episode is just cartoonville camp, camp town races, baby town frolics for, for all intents and purposes. Uh, at least that's what it felt to me. If you disagree, that's, that's fair enough, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just felt like, you know, it's the B plot. Um, it does have like that it does have a little bit of like original series camp level to it is what I got. Um, but at the same time, like I wasn't following it as closely as, you know, the a plot just because it might've gone a little too much with a camp for me. Um, and I understand like why they were doing it as far as the plot goes, but I don't think it was, I don't think it's something that, would have like lost the plot of you know the a plot if it wasn't there um so i think that's just my part of it it at times it felt like a distraction from the yeah real was, story yeah it was staggeringly less interesting than the a story <laughs> <laughs> wildly and uh and it also just dropped the thread that they had picked up that we were just talking about with pike being a boy scout that whole element just gets forgotten essentially i guess you could say well he's being down home and all this stuff but I'm not seeing his Boy Scoutness coming through so much. I guess by I guess he's offering service, right? I'm I'll cook for you and improve your situation. Uh, I'll do this or that. But it it's also <laughs> it also seems like it's it is and it isn't on the the theme that they're trying to pick up. And if you're suggesting in the first act that this guy's a Boy Scout, then it would seem to me that what that storyline is setting up is well, here he is trying to prove he's not. And maybe he's just trying to prove it to himself that he's capable of doing things either this way or that way. Or it's about him affirming his own values. But that never kind of gets a payoff at the end was sort of my thought with that. So that's why it just fe feels like it's more of a distraction. So let's get to the much more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so this is what I said. There's kind of to your point, you said that you thought it worked for what the episode was. Dr. Aspen being actually Captain Angel, there's a binary there, you know, there's kind of a, there's always two purposes going on with them and all that. There's that, but also pitching, you know, care about, care about what's going on internally, Spock, don't care about, there's a, it's always two sides and also telling the truth and lying. There's, that's always there. But I also just want to mention this real quick, and then I'm just going to let you go off here because I feel like something's brewing, but there was, an, there was like a hat on. <laughs> There was a hat on a hat on a hat element. So Dr. Aspen is actually Captain Angel and they imprison like they want their husband back. So they kidnap the they capture the Enterprise to get Spock to get the release of Cybok. It just seems like s extremely convoluted 
for for what the story what was really the heart of the story which is um someone comes on board with a different perspective about spock's relationship and has their own motivations and uses those motivations to interestingly justifiably uh positively make spock think of things from a different perspective but how do you think they pulled that off or what do you think about how they pulled it off yeah so you said the hat on a hat on a hat thing and i think that is it's it's very layered is the main thing and i think that kind of layering when you think about just vulcans in the trek universe in general kind of gets into like the philosophical discussion of you know vulcans and not having emotions and that is something that I've talked about with a lot of my Trek friends is just Vulcan and just how that's seen through all the different shows. And I think it looks more into like what the psyche is of Spock. And I thought that was really interesting. And that's why like I latched onto that part much more when I was watching the episode because I was really interested in like those in-depth conversations to the Vulcan brain and how that worked along, you know, supposed Dr. Aspen, but actually Angel and just the thoughts that they were putting into Spock's head to think about while also having the duality of their real purpose for being there. It was really interesting how they did that. I feel like they pulled it off on like my first watch of the episode, um, but I'm sure like when I go back to it and just, you know, nitpick some more, I might find something. But I thought it was just more interesting because of how it led up to, you know, the third act of the episode. Totally agree. And I think my takeaway after the season wrapped and I was in love with this episode because I thought it was like, wow, what a breath of fresh air. They're not not a stale dynamic, but sort of we've seen the Spock. Like if you're going to bring Spock into your new show, we've seen Spock so many times. What more can you do with Spock that's interesting? And they sort of rushed to avoid the what was the most interesting part for me when he was more human. I, I think they think he's more human now than he is on the original series, but he's pretty close to the original series at, right through this first season, I think. So to have someone just come in and deal with that Spock in a way that we have never seen before in the show, I totally agree. So, but my takeaway, even when I first watched it, and especially now, was once Aspen open reveals that they're Captain Angel, um, the performance just goes completely mustache twirling. And it's so ridiculous. It doesn't feel like the same person who was just having, even though it was, you know, for their own purposes, still you could see the truth in what they were saying to Spock about. Uh, well, I'll get to that later, but, you know, just challenging Spock on what he had already decided being a Vulcan, being, being human, what that all meant. Um, and just challenging that was fantastic. But then after it's like, uh, ha, 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 ha. I'm pretty sure that, that they actually do that. <laughs> <We'll> say, <laughs> they do. <laughs> I feel like there was that moment. <laughs> and so to me, it just seems like you're letting the air out of this balloon and it just goes 
all across the room. <laughs> like at, at that point, it does turn into a circus to some degree. But I want to read this tweet that Jesse James Keitel, the the actor who uh, portrayed Dr. Aspen, Dr. Captain Angel, uh, this is right after the episode came out. Uh, trans people have a complicated history with TV and film, but at a time when trans women are constantly vilified, mocked, and legislated against in real life, I take pride in flipping the script. Cis actors get to play every shade of good and evil. Let us do the same. Strange new worlds. And I think that was where my old cis brain came in, where I thought, yeah, I guess there's a part of me that's like, we should, we're in the 21st century. Everyone should be able to play every kind of part, I guess. But I also have the idea of like, in the history of cinema, queer characters, whatever it is, you know, non-conforming people are always the villain. Like constantly. Yeah. And it, it was a bummer. It was a bummer in that sense. No, yeah, and that's that's something that I have, you know, a lot of thoughts on, obviously, as I live through being non-binary every day. Um, and, like, my thing is I would love it if, like, it could be just fine for queer trans people to play the villain. I would love to see that as a normal thing and not, you know, be indicative of something and in a perfect world i would say that this was great because yes. she played the villain yes. so well in this yes and I, I, we're in agreement yes <laughs> like that was just absolute like i was just like this is this is the kind of queer villain we need um but it's also so hard when like obviously in society in american society it is so hard to be a trans person right now so it is it just feels like it's that binary again you know there is a, <laughs> in a perfect world yeah this is amazing but we're not in that perfect world it, it it's like utopia meme you know <laughs> <laughs> yes right that's right <laughs> i wanted to experience more shading after the turn yeah, uh, there's like they kind of think that after all the ha 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 right before they beam away, I think we might say I might say that for great lines or something. You know, it's kind of like you can't calm it down with one line. You know what I mean? You can't just like say, OK, now they're back to the person they were earlier for just this one line and then they're going to beam away in the history of Star Trek antagonists or villains. The best ones have pretty you know what i mean like you're you're on their side not on their side but you get it right yeah. and this just felt so arch and convoluted and ridiculous that it, it was like a disservice to what i thought was a really great character and a really great portrayal so in that sense i was kind of bummed but kudos obviously to just here's a non-binary character they're doing their thing this is not star trek's first non-binary character ensign tall adira on star trek discovery is non-binary they had a uh, androgynous uh, race episode the outcast back on next generation obviously these are very few and far between and i would imagine transgendered actors in the history of star trek probably two there's a um, transgendered uh, man on discovery tall's uh boyfriend whose name is escaping me right now i think it's blue and then um, and then we have Jesse James Keitel, transgendered woman. These are actors. I'm just talking about just like actors, not not playing characters that are trans, just like trans actors openly, I guess, should be the the, the preferred way, because who, who knows? In some cases, the further in the past you go, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. And that was the other thing that I thought that 
Trek handled well here is that, and and this is just something because I've you know seen it in some other media and also just uh, experiences in life is that it wasn't like it wasn't such a big deal that they're non-binary. It was just mm-hmm. part of life. That's just how it is. And they didn't really draw so much attention to it is what I think was well done. Um, and that's something that I've heard a lot from trans folks that they just want to see more in media is just kind of like, you know, trans people just being a normal thing around there. Um, not really pointing out their gender all the time, not making a big deal out of pronouns, whatever. And I think that this episode of Trek didn't really draw so much attention to that, that like when you think about it, sometimes you're not really thinking about Angel as your Dr. Aspen or Angel as non-binary or queer or anything. You were just thinking them as Dr. Aspen and Angel. And I thought that's what really came through for me there and i think that's why like that level of like cartoonish villain was done well because you're not really drawing so much attention to the fact that they're queer trans it's really just yeah here's this villain and you know cue villainous laugh and on that level that no different from basically most of the villains in strange new world season one um there's there's no nuance (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> of the antagonists in Strange New World season one so far. Um, all right, let's do the grades. Ready? Yeah, <laughs> we'll kick it off with great scenes. So, do you have any great scenes? I think when Angel was still as you know Doctor Aspen and just introducing Spock to new concepts and making Spock think a lot and like the reflection from Spock, I thought those were just great scenes because it was just that character building. And I really, I really enjoyed looking more in depth into that. So there's two main scenes between them. Um, Spock goes to get them from their quarters because their music's blasting too loud. They can't hear the captain over the intercom, which, okay, but (laughs) they're in the uh, turbo lift and Dr. Aspen is asking about, you know, Spock undergoing colonar ritual, which purges all emotions and they have a conversation about that. And then the second scene is after Enterprise escapes the pirate's first trap, which is like a which is like a Tholian web type device. It surrounds the ship, this net, and uh, Spock is basically tasked with guessing which asteroid is the primary generator of this field. And uh, afterwards, in Spock's quarters, Dr. Aspen goes to him and says, you look like you're going to have a heart attack when Pike told you to go with your gut. And they get in, they get in that whole conversation about, um, you know, Spock says my being half human is merely genetics. I was raised on Vulcan, and then Doctor Aspen fires back with, and that's just geography, <laughs> like where you were, like the whole idea. And I totally agree with you that after fifty seven years of Star Trek, we get a a brand new perspective on an idea, and it you don't feel like you're being pulled out of the universe to have this conversation. It like makes complete sense in the, in the universe. You know what I mean? It's not like, Hey, we read some critical theory from, you know, 2005. Here it is. And even if that is that it doesn't matter, it works perfectly in the scene. And I really love that second scene in particular. 
Um, I really yeah. thought I really jumped out of my seat when I watched it. I was like, wow, we got a new perspective for Spock. Who knew? <laughs> and that's the scenes that I'm thinking about when, you know, Aspen and Spock are talking because like when, when Aspen went, that's geography. I just went, oh, okay, this is really interesting because like Spock is now thinking about like, you know, this learned perspective of being Vulcan and having that be like his main point of view. And like, you could just see the wheels turning in Spock's head when that scene happened. And I thought that that's what made it such a great scene because I was like, we haven't gotten this kind of level of analysis in Trek before. And someone not standing down from that conversation, someone who is an outsider, but is still feels comfortable. And certainly for various reasons, um, we don't know anything about their connection to Vulcans before this. So, you know, but they're still kind of coming at Spock saying like, I know a little bit about some of this. I can still hang with you in this conversation. And that's, that's been rare too in the history of Star Trek. People have tended to give character Vulcans their space, right? Whenever a Vulcan declares something, and then they're like, okay, well, all right. <laughs> and we didn't get that this time. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, I think it's there. They make the episode, to be honest. Great performance by Jesse James Keitel. I think that's what sells that second scene the most yes. is, is, is her performance. The acting was really, really like top notch here. And Jesse James Keitel was incredible in her role. And I thought, yeah, I agree with you. Like it really makes a scene. And I thought it was also really great to see it contrasting with Spock scenes with Nurse Chapel. Oh, say more on that. That's interesting. More along the lines of like Nurse Chapel knows Spock when she says that, you know, it's like, I know you, I know what it's like to be friends with Vulcan. You're going to get honesty. And because of that honesty, you don't see Nurse Chapel really challenging Spock as in the same way that aspen slash angel was but Mm -hmm. it's still like that kind of juxtaposition also led up to the final act of the episode and i think that's why those scenes worked with that contrasting level of trying to challenge spock and then when you get the final act that's the payoff for it that's great. I mean, I kind of dismissed that ch- there was a lot of other stuff going on in that initial chapel scene when they're walking in the corridor that annoyed me to the point that took me out of the scene. But I think you're totally right. The sentiment absolutely is spot on. Um, I don't have any other great scenes. Do you have any other great scenes that you want to mention? I think that's that's mostly uh, it. I liked the part of when the pirates are taking over the Enterprise and Spock is basically shielding Dr. Aspen and then kicking the shit out of the pirates because we're seeing uh, full Vulcan sp- uh, strength on display, which isn't something they could really do in the original series with Leonard Nimoy. So it was mm-hmm. just fun to see like, yeah, he's a Vulcan and he's like Spock, like not even in his prime yet. He's still so young. Right. And, and so to him just throwing the guy across the bridge was cool. And I liked that part of the scene, but yeah. All right. Best Trek tropes. Well, we're the Vulcan aspect, honestly, <laughs> Yeah, like the it was so well done. I can't say I don't know how else to say more about it. It's just like it was so well done because of how they explored this old trope that has been constant through Trek. And like you said, you know, it's a new perspective. It was just really well done. 
the chapel part of this story, I think really is a great counterpoint to the Angel Aspen part of it. The The element that doesn't work for me is the Tapring part of it because the it's very surfacey. The episode starts with Tapring. A thing that they've done the entire season is almost every episode opens with someone else's log entry, which is fine. I mean, I guess in the history of Star Trek, we've heard enough captain's logs. So it's, uh, it's their <laughs> attempt to inject different perspectives into the episode. Uh, but, you know, it's mainly here in this one to Pring to remind us that to, where to Pring is and what she does and, and her relationship to Spock, because it doesn't actually have much bearing it when they're together. It does. But I feel like because this is kind of a show that can't go as deep for network edicts, but because Star Trek's a family show, you know, <laughs> to Pring is coming at him being like, I want to deal with human sexuality. That seems like a way to deal with your human side. But they can never show them fucking, right? They can never show them experimenting. They can, you know what I mean? Like they can never show them doing that part of it. So they have to talk about it in this really uninteresting way. So it's interesting that they, it's not interesting. It's actually the opposite of interesting. It's a bummer that they decided to approach to Pring's involvement in the episode in this way, because all, all it is, is a punchline. Like she tells him, I've been thinking about sex or whatever. And, Spock chokes on his wine. And and so and then that makes him nervous. But I don't see how that's like a conflict between his human side and his Vulcan side. Am I missing something here? He, he him being nervous that his Vulcan fiance wants to explore his human side is making him nervous about the Vulcan human side of things because he feels he'll mess up like he did last time. This is where the serialized part of the story kind of hurts a little bit because it should be a fresh like, what is he actually uh, nervous about? And and how is yeah. him being nervous the same? I don't know. The anxiety just didn't feel strong enough, even though what what Dr. Aspen is tapping into when they confront Spock about his how he almost has a heart attack on the bridge and Spock having to make all these choices. It's it's the reason why I think we're both responding it to to this is because Dr. Aspen is calling into question our entire knowledge of Spock throughout the history of Star Trek. It is yeah. not dealing with the actual terms of this character in this moment, in this episode, in this, even in this season, it's just saying like Spock, you know, the character of Spock. And that's why it works. But it, that's why it's like, those scenes also feel like they're so much higher than the rest of the episode. Um, we're talking about it in the best Trek trope. Like it, they took an old trope, shined it, <laughs> put it out and it looked <laughs> brand new. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, any other ones? I can't focus on any other Trek tropes just because <laughs> of the new perspective. That it just yes makes me think so much more. <laughs> I have uh, the Enterprise going into uncharted territory without Starfleet's permission or having to wait until Starfleet, uh, like not waiting for Starfleet to respond because it'll take too long. That's more of an original series trope that Kirk would just do yeah. that. And it's like, hey, this amoeba is about to eat the galaxy. I'm just going to go in where I, I'm not supposed to to stop it. Yolo. And then Starfleet always comes back at the end and they're like, hey, good job. We we trust whatever call you make. Yeah. <laughs> I like the bridge command code lockout, the prefix. Like, and then. Um, mm. But I, let's circle back one last thing about that best trope trope about the conflict. Um, Captain Angels thought at the end that the Vulcan versus human thing was always a false choice. That I think they say that at the end before they beam yeah. out. Mm -hmm. 
again, I think that's speaking to the legacy of the character instead of in this moment. Or I think it hurts in this moment because this person's been lying to Spock for the whole time. So why is this person getting the weight of telling a truth? Or why is it being treated as though they're telling a truth? And so I think the end of the episode accepts the premise instead of putting it back into an open question. You know what I mean? Like, well, am I making sense? Maybe I'm not. Yes. Um, (laughs) That, that does make sense. And for me, I, I think there was also just like, one, you know, it's a lot to put on a villain of the episode to have that kind of say that is a lot um, when you're challenging an old trope. Um, but I don't know. I also think it speaks a lot to like how much they've gotten into Spock's head. Yeah, I, I think I would have liked the end scene where T'Pring just randomly shows up for some reason. Um, <laughs> I think I would have liked to have seen that a lot, right? It was, it was very clean, the resolution once Angel leaves. And I think that's yes. the messiness that that line implies doesn't exist. Or I would have just liked to have seen the messiness resolve to some degree. And that didn't seem to really happen. So, uh, yeah. worst Trek tropes. Uh, do you have um, worst Trek tropes? Ooh, I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. You have one? I'm going to say starting a, mu- a mutiny. In this in this case, it felt a lot like the writers knew this is a Trek trope. Somehow the captain or the captive main character finds a sympathetic ear or is able to exploit some small tech exploit to break out of their cell. That seems impossible. In this case, they didn't even bother to come up with that. They didn't even yeah. come bother to come up with some elaborate ruse, like no one saying, help me, he fell. Or, like, yeah. you know, Captain... <laughs> Captain Kirk makes up Fizbin when he's being held hostage by the gangsters in a piece of mm-hmm. the action. He makes up a, a card game to distract them. Troy mm-hmm. and Picard played Help Me when the Borg were holding them captive. And when the <laughs> Borg came in to check on Picard, Troy yanks a tube out of it, or Picard yanked the tube out of their neck. Um, you know, so it's just like a lot of smirking and winking from Anson Mount. It's like the show was demanding that we had to enjoy it. And I, and I, <laughs> I think in all the other episodes of Star Trek where it happens, it's like the writers knowing like we just have to get through this, but we have to figure out a way to make it kind of clever so we don't make the audience feel like they're like, we don't want to make the audience groan with this. And in this one, they're like, you're going to groan because you like the Star Trek shit, right? <laughs> so, I don't know. It just felt it's too like, winky. Yeah, it, just, oh. <laughs> it felt like a forced plot B. It really did. And yeah. I think, yeah the trope made it feel a little bit more forced. Most of it's time quality. I'm so, I'm so fascinated to hear what guests have to say about this. Great. It's kind of hard to say like of its time, because we are currently in, you know, the time that strange new worlds is being filmed and everything. Um, And I, is it fair to say that although you watch a lot of TV, you probably wouldn't say you watch, all TV (laughs) because I watch all TV. (laughs) So that's why I feel more confident, but keep going. Yes. (laughs) To your point. Yeah. I'm, I'm the person who willingly subjected themselves to a rewatch of how I met your mother completely. All of season nine (laughs) in one day. 
gosh. Oh, well, okay. Good question. Does it work slightly better if you watch it like it is a binge? No. Okay. It's so bad. <laughs> it's it's not. No. I do I do not recommend anyone watch How I Met Your Mother season 9 all in one day. That was a big mistake. <laughs> And I've made some weird mistakes in my life, but that was probably up there. Um, yeah, no. Um, I My reputation with my friends is that I purposefully consume a lot of bad media because it entertains me. I've watched like the Food Network rom-coms on Discovery Plus just because I knew it was going to be bad. Um, so to that effect, I don't watch all tv like i haven't watched succession i haven't watched white lotus i haven't watched you know glass onion um i should watch it um but i'm way more drawn to the train wreck that is how i met your father however i am also someone who's watched the bear and ted lasso and now i'm watching shrinking so i am a land of contrasts when it comes to consuming television <laughs> <laughs> uh well you know what they say the more complex the mind the greater the need for the simplicity <laughs> of play so that's, that's um, fair enough but when it comes to this episode and you know being of its time i feel like i feel like the way like i don't think it really should be of this time but at least that is what's happening right now is that obviously, you know, trans folks weren't really, you know, represented on Trek before. Um, and the thing is about this time is that like, yeah, trans characters are now being introduced to a lot of different media. And it's also just kind of how it's done. And, how big of a deal that it gets made of um, on these shows. And alas, I think the thing is of its time is that it is kind of really telling of society in general that like trans people weren't really like, like it was a taboo to have like openly trans characters and trans people on shows. And we are now getting into a point of media where we are seeing more of that representation and that is of this time i would say i love it that's great i like the positive of its time it can exist it, that's exactly right i totally agree um like, i was so else? focused on the other stuff but yes that's exactly <laughs> right <laughs> and here's the thing like I, to compare actually with how i met your mother I can't believe I'm doing this. Um, <laughs> You've always wanted. This is why you came on the show to do exactly this. <laughs> so the thing is, I'm watching the first season of How I Met Your Mother again because I'm a complete idiot who enjoys this as background noise. Um, but the thing is, in 2005, while they are pointing out, you know, what is America's flaws and everything, they also have like this extremely misogynistic character on there and they do make transphobic jokes about like, oh yeah, you're a guy, haha, sissy, you know, the misogynistic and transphobic jokes. And that was just 20 years ago. And like, that's how much like trans people were just the butt of jokes. 
And here you are seeing a trans character not being like the butt of jokes or anything, but like a very serious character in media. And like, that was a thing, like even 20 years ago, like you're not seeing trans characters not really being made a big deal. And I think like their transness being a big deal, I mean. And I think that's what unfortunately does make it of this time. And like, I would have loved to have seen, you know, trans people not be the butt of jokes in media gosh, even like 10 years ago. Um, and like not, you know, their gender and sexual orientation. I would rather it not be like made the main focus of an episode, but here we're seeing it's just like kind of played seamlessly. And I think that's what makes it of this time. And it kind of shows you how horrible society has been to not have a trans character just be like okay yeah you're trans sure that's life anyway you're the villain i think that speaks a lot to where we are (laughs) i have that well Kristen and i have talked about this before she actually labeled this because i couldn't articulate what was bothering me but there's sort of like a buzzfeed filter on all their dialogue so I don't want to mention this for every Strange New Worlds we do, but sometimes it stands out more than others. Ortegas is just reduced to saying the little headers on those GIF articles that BuzzFeed would do. Oh, she says kaboom like six times. Yeah. Um, you know, she has the line how close, which was used in the promos and was kind of cute. But no, seeing it in context, it's like, what are we talking about? We're we're trying to find uh, potentially dead colonists. And she talks about the, how close do you want to get first date or a third date? And then Pike has to say blind date. I'm like, wait, people could be dead here. Let's, <laughs> but nurse chapel dr- dropping a pro tip on Spock saying pro tip. I'm like, that was why I couldn't pay attention to that scene. The red curtain just came down. I couldn't believe it. Oh, God. I completely <laughs> forgot the pro tip thing. Cause like, I just got so lost in Jesse James Keitel's performance that like, I completely forgot pro tip. And that is definitely of this era anyone who writes for strange new worlds i don't know why you're listening to this but if you are that is already a dated that's a dated expression that's already showing the age of the person writing it it is not young hip (laughs) yeah i'm i mean i'm i'm a younger millennial technically but i still say pro tip and that just shows how internet old i am Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. You have to be clear on that. <laughs> you are internet old. Your your knowledge of your library knowledge of memes stretches back many many cycles. I remember ago. Usenet. I, I'm thir- <laughs> I'm going to be 32 this year, and I remember Usenet jokes. So <laughs> I should not remember Usenet jokes. <laughs> hey, if they're good jokes, hold on to them. True. Um, I have two more of its time the EDM music blasting through Dr. Aspen's doors. It's not the mute, like the song itself. I don't, I didn't recognize it and I didn't take the time to look it up, but it was just, it's this idea of the most of its time is the people making Star Trek are fixated on making it cool. They just so desperately want it to be, they don't want it to have any whiff of nerd shit, which I don't know why that doesn't apply to Star Wars. Uh, but it applies to Star Trek. So at all times they're trying to like make it cool, make it cool. And it just it just stands out as as kind of silly. This is Dr. Aspen's appearance. I was like the face tattoo and the cat suit. Is that of his time? And then I realized, no, no, 
that is seven of nine. That is Chakotay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, face tattoos and cat suits are long Star Trek traditions. <laughs> they're they're deep. It's very deep it's no very more. Trek. Yeah. Not not yeah. not a new thing. Yeah. Spans all generations. So then the final one is to Pring when she's talking about sex references three basically eras of writers. She's talking about human sexuality. Henry Miller, Erica Young, and Maggie Nelson. And uh, and that's where the Argonauts reference at the top of our episode comes from. Uh, basically what? Patriarchy, second wave feminism, and third wave feminism? Or modern gender um, fluidity, maybe? But it's basically... The, what was of its time was that it just felt like the writer turned and looked on their bookshelf at their books, <laughs> and that was it. Because in the history of Star Trek, what normally happens is you cite two things that everyone knows or could like is easily referenced. And then the third thing is something you make up to remind us that we're in space. And instead they didn't do yeah. that. So I was like, okay, well you're fixating it. You're fixing it right on this time. And two, 2015, by the way, which is when the Arg- when Argonauts came out, that was probably the last time you could safely say pro tip without it being <laughs> a joke on you. So we know where <laughs> they've departed from pop culture. <laughs> Um, anyway. which right, those are... feels very relatable personally <laughs> <laughs> now you're like you're calculating you're like 2015 yeah it all makes sense uh how i yeah. met your mother had ended yes <laughs> <laughs> and even then i didn't really consume so much pop culture because i was doing way too many things um but for whatever reason i stuck with that stupid show i did too such a bummer okay <laughs> now we now we move on to the line must be drawn here. Great lines. <laughs> Aspen pointing out the geography thing, like the, yeah. that conversation and just, you know, like that's geography. It was really just very interesting. And this is me with a degree in humanities, kind of just like my own brain turning there. I just thought it was really like, I don't think that I would personally necessarily agree that it's just geography. Yes. But I think I think the thing for me is that the way that the line was delivered and the way that it gets Spock to think. You believe Aspen in that moment and that yeah. that they're they're being confrontational but not hostile. And uh obviously trying to get Spock to see a different perspective but also am I right here we were all on Spock's side the audience is on Spock's side when Aspen comes in and I think when Spock is speaking we don't get away from his side but his perspective seems I don't know this is just me going like well that's a bummer Spock that that's all you see it as right (laughs) and so you have someone else pointing another part of that out instead of just focusing on just what Spock is saying that if we are in Spock's shoes or we're on Spock's side, let's say what a great job of winning over Spock because we're on their side. So I think it's on his side. And then suddenly it's like, Oh, that makes great sense. The great line that I had, I had just one great line. Um, Because if you find a snip of that scene, if someone pirates it and posts it on YouTube, if you don't have a Paramount plus account, just watch that scene. Just it's a great yeah. scene. I really do think it's a great scene. But uh, later so on, done. yeah, after the ship has been hijacked and it's just Spock and Angel Scooby doing around the ship or Aspen Scooby doing around the ship until the big reveal, the big turn. This is when Aspen reveals that they had a husband 
who was Vulcan and died fighting what the Klingons, I think, or pirates. But uh, logic probably told him to fight back that day. I wish he would have let himself be scared. And if we're already kind of half not on Aspen's side at that point, but it's like, okay, Aspen, Aspen's in the circle, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. You were nice to Spock. You're way, you were cool. I think if you could put yourself in the position of you are friends with a Vulcan or you have a root, you love a Vulcan or whatever, you could kind of imagine that moment like, yeah, feel something, dude. <laughs> it's yeah. okay. And I thought it was, I thought it was touching. It was a nice line. Um, and I thought it worked. I don't think we've ever heard people talk to and talk about Vulcans in the way that Aspen Angel does in this episode. No. Yeah, it's a very different take on how Vulcans are portrayed. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. Jesse James Keitel. <laughs> oh, yeah. By I far. Mean, I just want to make sure we're all on the same yeah. page. Yes. <laughs> No, Jesse James Cattell was for- incredible. Yeah. I can't wait for her to come back uh, as Angel or, you know, maybe they'll pull a Star Trek and she'll wind up playing someone else. You know what I mean? Like pull a Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> yeah. um, Have the tropes in there. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> that would be a true. That's exactly right. But exactly. It, it The mustache turn, the, the, the turn where she becomes or be, they become a mustache twirler. It just bothered me because I was so digging the performance and everything. And so it's just like they're she's doing what the script is telling her to do as that character. Fine. Yeah. It was good. It was good. I, I just was like, ah, oh, such a bummer. Cause it's like, that was, this is easily one of the best new characters in the last 20 years of Star Trek, 25 years of Star Trek. I think top, top 15 easily. I haven't, we have to catalog deep space nine. That's why I'm, I'm hedging it. I'm saying it's 15. <laughs> yeah no yeah that that was the thing like you know jesse james Keitel as dr aspen i was even if i didn't agree with like everything that they were saying i thought that it was just such an incredible performance and a lot of like depth that it was just great acting and then that mustache turn and i think that's also kind of says something about Jesse James tell playing a character, playing a character and like the layers. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I didn't think about that. You're, I think there's something to that. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I didn't quite see it in the, I didn't really see it in the, in like the writing and the scene breakdown, but I can imagine it because she did such a great job playing that character. Yeah. That I could easily imagine that coming out. If you give that character, if you give them that line or some sense of it in the next time we see them, I can easily see that make, and it would make sense with track. Yeah. Fantastic performance. And, I think definitely a highlight of the season guest star wise. Yeah. And I think, I think that layered performance of performance performance kind of also speaks to like, angels own depth as a character and like how villainous they really are i wasn't bummed by the turn i was bummed by mm-hmm. what the turn what it was like how it came yeah. like what it looked like what it sounded like uh, the, anyway um and also the kind of like the, oh go ahead. oh no i was just gonna say also kind of just like the loss of aspen as like that character when you find out that they're angel <laughs> yeah yeah 
it, it almost feels like they they kind of I, I don't think they regret it but i mean man if yeah. if they had had aspen for maybe another episode you know what i mean like yeah. this was the second episode maybe it would have been interesting yeah uh, the shatner do you have any um nominees for the shatner Ooh. um <laughs> Where do I begin with a plot B? <laughs> <laughs> Alpha Braga four. <laughs> exactly. I think I think there's just a lot in those plot B scenes that I can't necessarily just pick like one. That it just it had that, you know, campiness of original series for me. Well, okay, so I have to stick up for the original series. Because I think it's very easy for us now to say, just paint it with the brush of camp. But to me, camp, as I understand it, everyone's in on the joke. Yes. And in the original series, that was not their intention. So there is a, and this is the part that bothers me about the whole episode. There is an earnestness to Star Trek. This is where the don't be nerdy, no nerd shit, (laughs) be cool, where it hurts. Because in order to satisfy that requirement, you have to act like the dorky stuff. You know it's dorky and stupid. Wink, wink, wink. Ha ha, we're going to start a mutiny. But the you're, you just have to leave Star Trek to be made fun of in a, in a way. Yeah. It has to have some degree of earnestness. Otherwise, it just spins off into what we get. And it's like... So the original series is like, it looks like it should be campy. But a lot of the time, it's like they're they're playing it seriously. and And then the goofiness comes from the situations and i think that's why it's it resonated for as long as it has so are you kind of then either giving it to anson mount or are you giving it to the orion pirate captain who's not actually the captain but is pretending to be um he is the basically the face of the pirates yeah oh i think i'd probably give it to Anson Mount a little bit just because it did kind of remind me of some you know Shatner performances not necessarily in like the worst way not necessarily in a bad way but like there was just that level camp and like a lot of it also came from like the reaction of being called a boy scout Anson Mount there's another episode this season where it's he they're basically like do whatever you want and he sure does so we know he has that level to <laughs> this Shatner level to him for sure uh, what part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? I'll answer Alpha Braga four. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would the predecessor show or captain resolve the conflict? So this is Star Trek Discovery. That gets a little yeah. tricky here. But do you yeah. see how this might have been resolved with Michael Burnham and crew in the Discovery? It's okay to pass. You can oh, just say pass. Yeah, pass. That one's a kind of difficult one because I think there's so many different ways that it could have been done. My general view, my general approach to how Discovery would resolve things is come up with some ridiculous degree of tech to do something that is ridiculous but somehow saves the day or they care bear stare. They just power their love beams at the problem and it and it resolves itself. So loving uh, like i could see a version where angel takes over the ship and somehow they all band together to love them and then they they just surrender (laughs) they're like someone cares about me (laughs) 
Um, yeah. Or, you know, if, if they come on board and they're trying to sow dissent, I guess that's a parallel we didn't quite pick up on. You know, Pike's trying to sow dissent in, in, in his own way, in a comical way. And I guess you could say Aspen's trying to sow dissent with Spock. It doesn't quite come out, but there is like a binary there, too. So um, that just occurred to me. So anyway, <laughs> uh, Trek, Trek, Mar- we didn't get to the end of the episode. Did I make it clear that Cybok is at the end of this episode? I don't feel like I missed that part. I think it was like va- you vaguely mentioned it at the beginning, but yeah. that was like the only time we've mentioned it. So Michael Burnham would know that Zavarius is Cybok. She would just know. She would just know exactly what this person means, what they're after, and and would and us learning the relationship between Spock and Cybok and Michael Burnham would would be dizzying and it would seem to break canon, but we'd have to just go with it. But Michael Burnham would be on I think Michael Burnham would be suspicious of Dr. Aspen pretty quickly. Oh, hold on. I can I'm, see now it. I'm talking this all out. Michael Burnham would be the one being psychoanalyzed by Dr. Aspen, right? Would be because Michael Burnham's been cosplaying or pretending, not pretending, is the inverse of Spock, has been as a human being raised as a as a Vulcan. So that's just geography, right? But is really intense, intensely human underneath it all. So Aspen would be keying on the same things for uh, for obviously ulterior motives as well. Um huh, interesting. That would be an interesting really, episode. That would have been really intriguing. Yeah. Instead, we got a really cool Spock twist, which I also like very much. <laughs> I feel like you could have gotten great television either way there. All right. So then that brings us down to uh, Trek, Marry, or Kill, the Serene Squall. Oh, it is somewhere between a Trek and a Mary for me, just because of like performances and the new perspective. But I think grading safely, I would say it's a Trek. I would have gone with you on the Mary journey, but we'll we'll go with the trek. <laughs> we'll go with the trek. <laughs> I think that's uh, like on the think... safe side. Yeah, the safe side. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you don't want to get people's hopes up. <laughs> well, well, no, well, I think it's yeah. also because there's so much in the history of Trek that, like, I also just am ruined by Deep Space Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still like trying to like get a feel for strange new worlds and like how long it will go and like how long they can keep up the quality. I think that's where I'm at. Like I would have to wait until like the series finale for me to actually like judge it within the scope of the entire series. So Trek on the safe side. The time element I think is pretty important for a, a proper game of Trek, Mary kill. But, you know, it's it's a popular show. It's new. And, and yeah. I think running it through like it's just any other Star Trek, I think it, it actually shows that it has a place in the and it's like it is Star Trek. People get over it. You know what I mean? Oh, like absolutely. It's there. And I think in the old dog, new tricks department, ha- having this perspective on Spock, a character that you could genuinely argue they should have just left alone, but they didn't. And so that they were then they challenged themselves with doing something different. And wow, uh, this is a home run. I really do think that they did something different with the character, not the to bring stuff. Forget that. (laughs) (laughs) In this episode, I don't think that works as well as as someone jamming up Spock's thinking. Um, That was. Oh, yeah. No, I think like a standalone, I would say, you know, Mary, it's just in the grand scheme of like all of the track, I would say like Trek 
grading grading conservatively there, but God, it was so well done. Yeah. All right. So check it out next time you uh, get a chance. If you're cruising Paramount Plus, Jen, is there anything you want to plug uh, or mention, let people know about? You can find my work at uh, various publications out in the world. It's a lot of like long form stuff. So a lot of research goes into it. If you are able to and want to, I work at a nonprofit in California called Youth Leadership Institute. And um, we work uh, in the sphere where we work with a lot of young people through California and um, do a lot of narrative change. A lot of young folks do a lot of advocacy for their communities, trying to create positive change in their communities. So if you are willing to, you know, check it out, yli.org is where I work. Um, And otherwise, um, you can find my sports writing all over the web. God, that's dated. I just said all over the web. (laughs) Are you talking about the interwebs? (laughs) You can catch it on the net. That's right. I always appreciate your perspective. Um, you're definitely one of my best social media follows. I, you know, you, I always learn something and um, I like having perspectives challenged too. So that's doubly a great reason to have you on for this particular episode. <laughs> and also you are as geeky about Star Trek sometimes as I can be. And also just, I love it. It's great. So I'm planning guess. on getting a Star Trek tattoo. So that's how much I love star trek uh, my husband named our cat cisco i mean how how much more nerdy can i get is the tattoo just gonna be deep space nine on your back like your whole back is just gonna be deep (laughs) space nine or like what's (laughs) still thinking about it but like i already know i'm getting a star trek tattoo i I already have star wars tattoos how how much more nerdy can it go i got a pokemon tattoo recently oh my goodness fantastic (laughs) so (laughs) Top top tier nerd. I live tweet about nerd shit all the time. I work at a baseball statistics website. Like, I am absolute You're... nerd. I'm not cool. I say I'm not cool all the time because I I do math for fun. I think you're cool and you're cool for coming on this show and you out there listening. You're cool for listening. We'll be back next week with an all new episode. You can check us out on social media at Trek Mary K pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can check out all of our scores, our grades, standings for all the other shows. If you want to see how many Treks, Marys and kills strange new worlds has go to Trek Mary So again, till next week, TMK. Out.